Welcome back to the Reptiles and Research podcast. It's just me today. Ellie's not here. Ellie's at work. So it's just a solo thing here today. There's no guest. It's just me and you. And I wanted to have a conversation because I've been thinking about a topic for a while. And this is such a major role in our hobby. Yeah, I don't think people are really having this conversation. Obviously, I hear this conversation all the time within my small circles but this is very an academic circle and a scientific circle it's not rep it's not a, a fair representation of keepers at large and this is something that i really want to talk about ball pythons is the focus of what i want to talk about but this applies to the vast majority of anything so what i'm going to go into is i'm going to go into the human culture surrounding ball pythons and hu- the way humans act which i have th- been observing a lot and i find really interesting some science on the brain which i want to go into and this i just feel like there's something underlying that is the answer to everything but it relies upon people knowing that the underlying thing is happening so bear with me because i'm going to tear tee up a lot here before we go with diving down the rabbit hole so as i'm sure you're very much aware what's basically the culture at the moment is you have almost like opposing sides in ball python culture in herpt culture so you've got the rack keeping them in racks and enjoying breeding morphs and enjoying projects and and a more simplistic style of husbandry shall we say and then you've got the other side that's all about keeping things naturalistic in these big vivariums with decorations lighting these opportunities to express different behaviours. And often these two sides lock horns. I often have always leaned towards the vivarium and naturalistic side and have been quite critical of the, the rack side. But I never really thought about the process that the underlying process at play and also what that means to the way people think so now i've kind of just stepped back and i mean a lot of like the facebook groups and whatnot they lean more towards the rack side and i always have a sort of like bird's eye view of like the conversations that are happening and the more i watch the more i see the same like pattern occurring now i'm like hang on a minute this is really interesting like, i see this a lot now so you have one side that's like they believe that bull pythons stress out of racks and when you put them into a vivarium they stress out and stop feeding and they have seen and they always say i've seen this happen again and again and again and again and that vindicates them in their opinion And then within that culture and that community, the same stories come up independently and then vindicate each other into an understanding that yes, bull pythons stress out of out of racks. They're a very stressy species. We believe they belong in a rack because it replicates a burrow like in the wild. And this is what the species are, and the other side just doesn't understand. Right? But then there will always be those stories of the ones that are happily living vivariums and doing behaviors that 
perhaps someone doesn't understand and it's and then it becomes to oh yeah but there's always outliers and then it's like because I, I work in a shop and I work with colleagues and I work with customers and I work with members that come in of different societies so I'm having a lot of conversations and the same thing that I see come up over and over again is like oh yeah there's always outliers and this thing just gets thrown out and then it's like that's it there's outliers <laughs> no more thought needed that no one's going like well why is there outliers what makes that one different from my rule python or what makes that ball python different from the next one there's obviously cause and effect so the effect is that that one's doing all right and isn't stressing out in the enclosure but what's the cause because nothing happens without cause and effect we can say outliers or it just happens or things happen or but there's always a cause and effect to something and this comes back to just thinking really literally about things there's always a cause and effect to things so what is that and i always say i always pose the question to people because i haven't really gone into it with people because i'm still still pondering on it and i think i'm going to make a more precise video explaining things for a youtube video but for now as this podcast episode i really want to just go through it all and then maybe get some feedback from you and then see whether any of this makes sense to you i'm just i'm just i'm just downloading my thoughts at the moment basically so there's this no one's going like oh why is there outliers and on the flip side you have everyone that's keeping in, in vivariums with uv light basking bulbs and hides and branches and this and that and they see all these different behaviors from their animals and they see it every day and then they turn around and look at this, this, this a subculture over there on the, on the opposite side and say well these people are idiots how can they not see that these raw pythons do all of this because there's thousands of images thousands of videos i can literally pick up my phone whilst i'm replying to a comment on facebook when i can literally film a video and there's a raw python upper branch behind me how can you not understand this and then you go on the flip side and it's like well these people don't know what they're talking about the animals stress outside of racks because you will have someone that go okay let's be fair i'll test this myself so they take their raw python from a rack and they put it in a vivarium and then i'll see this animal stress and freak out and this all depends on how this vivarium is set up by the way so there's so many variables to this and they'll be like, okay this animal stressed out i'll put it back in a rack and then it starts eating again. How many times have you heard that story, right? But they might go, okay, maybe I need a more of a larger sample size, more of a fair rep representation. And they'll do it again when the same thing happens again. And again. And again. And again. And then they're so vindicated. Like, like raw pythons 
need a rack. They do best in a rack. The rack is optimal, and they stress and go feed outside of racks. And you, you, you obviously have like various levels of conviction within this belief within the subculture. It's a spectrum. You can't label everyone as the same and put them in put this box over them and then like label the box. But then you have people within the subculture, their peers, do the same. And then they'll obviously communicate and talk to each other and be like, hey, I tried this. Does this happen to you? And they're like, yeah, this happened to me. And then obviously they vindicate each other. And then other people have tried things. And then you have a, a subgroup of people that are very, very vindicated within their belief that they stress outside of racks. And why wouldn't they be? They've tested it. They've tested it, seen it with their own eyes, that they're stressing outside of racks, right? And then you have the whole social media side of it and all the people that learn through secondhand experience and then go on and tout that as first-hand knowledge and you can see how things spread because it happens on both sides, right? I am very clear and precise with why I say things like the whole semi-aboral thing with the raw pythons, that came from me. And then in my comment section, or people, I see people reference me in these Facebook threads, and they'll be like, raw pythons are semi-aboral. And then when they're, when they're pressed upon that, they can't back it up, because they just say, because Liam told me so. And I'm like, I don't want that. I don't want you to... I'm, I'm going off on a a tangent here but I don't want you to just be like because Liam's word is final I don't want that I want you to hear the logic and the words that I'm speaking and does it speak to you and hang on let me actually read the studies that he's pulling do I agree with him actually I may differ from his interpretation of a study I don't want you to just hang off my every word I don't want anyone to do that because that's the same problem that's happening throughout the hobby or folklore husbandry where people just hang off each other's words right so, people touting second-hand knowledge as their first-hand knowledge. And it happens on both sides. So, this is how all these things spread. And on the flip side to all of this stuff about them stressing out sort of racks, you have people from Keeping Vivariums that are so incredibly vindicated that these animals do these things because they see it every day. And they see videos every day. And they like... It makes logical common sense that the animal is not restricted to a burrow. And that there are other behaviours outside of that, otherwise the animal would be dead. The species would not continue if they were eating things outside of burrows, but didn't leave a burrow. So there's, there's, a, there's a logical process to that. And we're going to get into this as well because there's a lot of like dogmatic indoctrination of like information as well. And then people have these like preset lanes of thought which you're allowed to think between. And it's some of this logic gets left behind where it's like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, this is the information, this, 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 and this. And it's like, well, if you don't know anything about reptiles and you have none of this information in your head, logically, this makes sense. So that is an element to it as well. 
people get very clouded in their thought because they're so pigeonholed into these dogmatic lanes of thought that you are allowed to think between or within shall i say so you can understand why it's two sides locking horns because both you can understand why both are incredibly vindicated in their belief against the other but why is that the case why is it that there seemingly is no common ground and that it's one side against the other they're either idiots or they are it's either right and wrong is it possible that there's an underlying thing throughout all of this which will make everything make sense and there is so we need to go into how the brain learns now the brain learns through something called brain plasticity and what that means is basically the brain's abilities the brains of I've, I've, I've written something down here just so that i don't screw this bit up because this is the point i really want to drive home so it's the brain's ability to change and adapt in response to like learning experiences or new environments or new experiences it creates connections between neurons and then strengthens neuro- neural pathways to improve function right so if you if if you repeat an action over and over again that neural pathway in relation to that action or that emotion or that experience or that knowledge needing to ex- execute the action strengthens it's the same reason why you might have like someone who's really into bodybuilding and they can lift x amount of weight doing this performance and then if you were to say to them, lift the same amount of weight on a move that you've never done before, they can't do it. Why is that? Because they don't have the nervous system to enact that. They don't have the neural pathways built up in conjunction with the muscular system to execute that that move, right? Because it comes down to the nervous system and the neural pathways. So neuroplasticity or brain plasticity is the brain's ability to adapt and move in relation to the environment and the stresses and the learning experiences. It basically shifts to what it has to do at any point in time. Obviously it isn't instant and that's something we're going to get into, but it's how the brain works. And there's you're going to get people that are like, raw pythons aren't that complex. Because, let me tell you why. Everyone is so scared of anthropomorphism because they don't want to be seen as unprofessional or unscientific. And it's like the sort of layer of cold that needs to be applied to reptiles in people's minds for it to not be anthropomorphism. But the lines between what anthropomorphism actually is and what keepers think it is are really blurred. So when I was taught in university and doing this as a degree was anthropomorphism was applying human characteristics to animals so like the disney disney disneyifying of, of like animals so like standing up on like extreme examples standing up in a bipedal stance and walking around and talking and having big beautiful eyes like the, the cutesy baby eyes and basically that sort of like disneyfication of, of animals and of course like a more relative way of it being like someone being like oh yeah my bearded dragon loves living in their dollhouse they love their little sofa and like you're applying your human characteristics and your human thoughts of what they would do if they were a human onto the animal 
but then people in the hobby are like just just call out anthropomorphism to something that isn't even that it gets the lines get very very blurred i don't really i don't have an example off the top of my head right now but i'm sure that you have seen it many many times where you've said something and someone goes oh you're, that's just anthropomorphism it's this like throwaway card that gets chucked and it's like nonsense like it's just but their understanding of what anthropomorphism is is been muddied and it has for a lot of keepers so everyone's so fearful of this anthropomorphism that they end up shifting the other way into mechanomorphism, which is applying like these really mechanical and robotic um, characteristics to animals, where there's a lack of thought and there's a lack of intelligence and there's a lack of emotion, and it's just this very old school way of looking at animals. And you see that in a lot of really hardcore rack people that are like. Snakes don't think. Snakes need food, water, warmth, and that's it. And it's like, there's this, obviously, there's this, again, there's a spectrum of how far people go with it, but you can see representations of that in the hobby if you look hard enough, especially in the kingsnake groups. Jesus Christ. My point is, is that there's so many people that are like, oh yeah, raw python doesn't have a brain. They're they're dumb and this and that, because they've slipped this way and they're going into this mechanical mechanomorphism if even if they don't realize it and your 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 baseline shifts into anything that's like oh yeah there's a bit of thought going on there or there's emotion or something that's like mechanomorphism um no anthropomorphism and it's like <sighs> you've actually done yourself a disservice as a keeper by allowing yourself to shift that way as well Everyone's so fearful of anthropomorphism, but no one's fearful of mechanomorphism. And I wish people would just like try to centre themselves in the middle, which is the rational place to be, especially when studies come out showing there's dopamine in the brain of a raw python, there's emotion. Like, again, people are so fearful to say that an animal has emotion when it does pleasure is an emotion hunger is an emotion fear is an emotion frustration is an emotion plenty of things that you will see this from your snake every single day in some scenarios but you don't assign that to emotion it's emotion now whether you say that they that they get in, you may slip into anthropomorphism when you're saying like oh they fall in love or like my snake loves me but i mean there's a difference between having raw emotion that evolved to have a purpose within every animal and then the heightened level of emotion and almost like human ways of thinking about love and things like that. But people conflate the two and get a bit confused and that's a real problem in the hobby, right? So my point is, is that all this, how the brain works in like the, the learning stuff, people are like, oh yeah, that's just for like apes and like monitor lizards and like really intelligent animals. I'm like, it's, it's not, it's everything. It's been studied in so many animals, mostly mammalian because a lot of researchers are focused on that, but it's just how brains work. And just, just to, just to tee this up is that, 
It's even been proven in bumblebees. And they don't even have a brain in the same way that a, a raw python does. So to say that it's occurring in invertebrate brains, but somehow a bull python is somehow an outlier between everything, is just purely illogical. And um, I just wanted to say that because I know people will be like, oh, raw pythons are dumb. They're not. And let me go into why. So when you have these experiences and the, the, the pathways strengthen in that maybe between anything brain plasticity and like the amount of information it can take on and the structure of the brain changes and things like that is heightened in infancy in younger animals and then less so in adults and these changes are much harder to occur and enact and slower to change in adults which is why children's brains are so imaginative in humans just so you get a comparison to understand it's why human brains in like children are so imaginative and they're so exploratory and they're so absorbing information left right and center and they can learn languages and that's why it's easier to learn new languages and things like that when you're younger and not when you're an adult because of this brain plasticity you're in a stage of where things are easier for you because you're in this sort of like plus this increased area of shifting and moving of the tides and ability to learn and blah 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 and it's much harder as an adult the same applies to everything so in these royal pythons when you put them in a rack and there's very various degrees of what people use in racks which is why this is a, a topic that gets muddied because let's say i've got a rack and it's newspaper water bowl that's all I'm using. I put my raw python in that. What experiences does that raw python have to learn? It learns that when you come at it with food, it eats. It learns that one side's warmer and one side's cooler. It learns that the water bowl means water. It may learn that it can wrap itself around a water bowl for the follicles and stuff in that stage of life and things like that. But it's very, very limited in that scenario. And neural pathways, especially if it's like dark and there's not even like lights coming in. So you're in the dark, your eyes aren't even being used. Bear in mind that raw pythons see into the ultraviolet spectrum. So even in a vivarium, without even having a UV light, they're basically colorblind. So when you keep it in the dark, it's in the dark. And then textures are the same. Like everything, sensory stimulus is basically up to this level and it's like, so this animal only has a certain amount of stimulus that they can take into their brain and these neural pathways strengthen. And let's say you've got a keeper that's very rough with handling or they just pull this drawer open because I work with a lot of people people who will go through a rack system and just yank these drawers open because they're in this mindset of like clean this, clean that, we're going to get through this. We've got a lot of animals, we've got a time limit, let's get this down, bam, 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 bam. This animal gets like this entire world gets rocked forward and the water bowl sloshing about next to them and it's, it's this whole scenario and if that animal finds that fearful, which 
let's be honest, people that work with racks, because I work with racks at work, we all know that it often is because you'll pull something forward and something will ball up. If a lot of that is fearful, well, fear has been experienced. So the neural pathways in relation to fear strengthen again and again and again. And what you can actually get is that areas of the brain, such as like the amygdala, which is in relation to like fear and whatnot, actually increases in size as a proportion of the brain. And then the other areas that are in relation to taking things in context in regulating their response to new stimulus and things like this, like the hippocampus, actually atrophy if they don't get to use that. So you actually end up in this particular scenario that I'm showing you and I'm describing to you, you actually change the actual brain structure of the snake. Not only is the brain structure changes, but the neural pathways within those brain sections and within that brain as a whole are crafted to a particular scenario. So if you took that animal, especially if that is that animal's life, let's say in this scenario, I took this animal up to something like eight years old. This is an adult animal now. And that is his entire life experience. I take that animal and put it into a vivarium. Maybe I saw like, maybe you saw my video about like being semi-arboreal and you're like, okay, we'll put some branches and we'll test this theory. You put that animal in there and you've got lights, you've got everything. The animal's going to stress. The animal... The biggest part of that animal's brain is fear already and has no neural pathways for anything else in its life. And suddenly it's like different textures. I can, there's lights everywhere. I can see things. I can see in a spectrum that I've never seen before. What the fuck is that? And it's like, and it's like a heat lamp. What's, what's, what's radiation? Like I only, I only know like conduction beneath my belly. Like what's, What's a branch? What's climbing? What's... Like, there's so many variables when you actually start to isolate things that are new, that they have no concept of, and no no neural pathways that are even strengthened in, in the slightest. And the ability to cope with that is atrophied because it's not been used in its entire life. This animal can't cope, and it doesn't actually have the brain structure to cope in that environment. And then when they see this animal stressed to high heaven and go off food, they get vindicated that the vivarium and complexity stresses royal pythons out as a whole and not that particular animal with that particular past experience with a particular neural pathways with that particular brain structure. This is all an individualized scenario. But let's say that's the way you keep all your snakes. So you do that 10 times and they've all got a similar brain structure. You're going to get the same result 10 times. And if your culture in your hobby is to keep in this particular way, you are all going to vindicate each other because you've all had the same experience. And then you take you take the animal from that vivarium and you put it back into the, the rack and it, it settles down and it eat it's it's not stressed in the same way it was in the vivarium and it eats again well yeah because you put that individual animal with that brain structure and that ability to cope in the environment that brain structure is geared to 
and then it's back to where it was. And then you might think, well, how come, how come some animals can come from a wreck and then be fine and some just can't cope? It's because there's so many things that an individual keeper might do in, like, with their wreck that tee the animal up for just enough to experience different things. And like I say, brain plasticity is like, early on, it's much easier to adapt and whatnot. But when it's in the latter stages, maybe not so much. So let's say, two scenarios, right? Let's go really, really specific to this. Let's say, keeper one opens a rack, takes the water bowl out, closes the rack, cleans the water bowl out, they're working in silence. They clean the water bowl out. They maybe have gone off to do something, come back, opened it out, put the water bowl back in, closed, right? Scenario two, they're keeping the exact same rack. It's no light, it's no opaque, it's even the same make of rack. Scenario two, the keeper comes in, opens the rack, takes the water bowl out, leaves that rack open, is playing music in the background, is stood there, cleaning it's got a trolley it's making a bang sound like that raw python actually is taking in information it's listening to things going outside it's watching this giant ape do things it's seeing the light come through it's hearing vibrations well it's not going to hear music in the sense that you might think they would because the vibrations beneath them is where how they hear and whatnot so Maybe that was a bad example, actually. But you get my point. There is stimulus each time from that coming out. Or, let's say they actually just leave that open for ages and that raw python starts to come forward and just, like, sit on the edge of the the lip of the front of the tray and just watch. How many times has that happened, by the way? If you're a person that keeps in the rack, how many times has that happened? Because it's happened to me. I do it at work and someone will come forward and sit and watch. That animal has taken in so much more information than in scenario A. And then this person comes through and like puts the water back in, maybe moves the animal back and just like closes it. Well, if that happens each time, there's neural pathways that are strengthened in that individual compared to individual in scenario A. Just something that specific in your routine can, can potentially make the difference. Now, if you put that side by side, you would never know that because you'd be like, we keep the exact same way. Yes, you do. As your husbandry scenario, you keep in the exact same way. But that individual's world and past experiences are now completely different. Or let's say, in another scenario, you keep in the exact same exact same rack, exact same everything, it's basically exact carbon copy. The exact same scenario in A, where they just open it, close it, that's it. Scenario B, they've got a table in the centre of a room. They open the rack, they take the animal out because they want to do a full clean. They place that on the table, around all the tools and whatnot, or whatever the things they're using, buckets and whatnot. And they're just going around and they're cleaning and they're, they're wiping out and they're they're disinfecting and blah, 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 blah. And there's like a radio on the table and it's playing or something. <laughs> I brought that back. Um, and then like that animal was first of all balled up and then it starts tongue flicking. And then 
Maybe it's looking around, taking things in. And over time, this has becomes part of like predictable events, the way this person works, because predictability is a massive thing in animal welfare and making animal comfort, have feel comfort in their lives. Maybe the snake doesn't stress out straight away, gets plunked on the table, and it's like, okay, what can I check out here? And it's checking out new smells and new scents and new textures and it's feeling these vibrations from the radio and it's like... There's so many scenarios within one style of keeping that one rat keeper might do completely different to the other, which is why this outlier, which is unexplainable, actually, they might have a totally different past individual experience that allowed them to have different neural pathways strengthened in different scenarios. So that when, because all of that in that scenario that I just orchestrated and made up, that was teeing up the animal to see new things on this table and environment and develop the plasticity and the ability to cope with new things and novel experiences. Maybe not in their entire life, but there's pathways that are there. There's something there. The structure of the brain maybe isn't the same as the one in, in example A. So this animal gets sold to someone who puts it in a in a vivarium. And this animal actually... Yeah, maybe it finds it a bit stressful, but it's got enough in there and enough pathways to do with coping and and novel and novel experiences and things like that that it actually can can build up more and get past that hump and does fine. But it all depends on this animal's brain and their neural pathways and their brain structure and everything. So what happens then is that all these outliers that are magically unexplainable are potentially explainable because there's a past history to the animal and once you understand that how the brain learns especially in this particular animal then you're like okay i get it because if you kept this way and your routine was this and then this and this and this and this there's nothing linking the two and like you then get to the ability to troubleshoot and you can think about things in like a really literal sense of like that 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 that, 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 that means that and that means that but without an understanding of how the brain learns and all this and the neural pathways and the brain plasticity you just don't and it's like it explains so much what which is why the one side of of the rat keeping are vindicated in this belief and they don't understand how these animals or why these animals are like doing all this stuff and it's like oh yeah it's just some do and it's it's an outlier and and then on the flip side all, the, all these people that keep in these big enclosures and they look to these people and they're seeing examples of animals that are stressed and then like how can these people think this is because these individual animals are stressing the vivariums and they are doing better in Iraq because their brain structure is built to succeed in the rack. So what's the solution to all this? Well, I don't know what the solution is, but there's certainly steps forward that I think that we could take. Firstly, it, 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 it requires a recognition of and an education and an understanding of how the, all this works because then you can get to the point of well, as a as a rat keeper, maybe once a week I put like a I put like a tissue roll in there. 
or something. And then like the next time I take it, I take it out and there's something else, like a block of wood or something so simple or a twig or something so simple. And I think that does nothing because all like, oh, enrichment's a fad and enrichment's just for the, the p- person. No, it's not. You put something that smells a certain way, is a different texture and is completely novel and new to the animal. Something's firing up there. Something's building up there. And it's like, again, it's things that are unseen and the keeper doesn't see it happening, which is why it's not so obvious. It's completely different with something like bearded dragons and metabolic bone disease. And they're, they're like, all the bones and rubbery and the bearded dragon's like... <coughs> so, of course, like, it's very like, ah, sorry. It's all like, ah, done. I understand that. I see that. But when it's this under the surface, no one sees it. No one sees it. So, you see where I'm going with it? And it's just like, the more you think about it of different scenarios, the more you're like, oh, that makes so much sense. So how does the two sides kind of find this middle ground? Whether you agree with the fact that that people think that there is a certain level of production that needs to be met to meet the needs of the needs of pet keepers and the stance that gets taken of like who do you think produces your pets and stuff, I'm not going into that. But where's the common ground? Well, the common ground is, as a breeder, potentially I could put myself ahead and make myself stand out from other people by being like. Do you know what? What we do is try to set up our hatchlings up for success the best way possible for you for when you keep it as a pet. We do this, this, and this, and this. We offer no- novel experiences. We try our best to get them to allow them their time outside the, the rack and blah, 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 blah. How far that you want to go is basically up to the person. But And then you can say to the person when they buy the animal, this is the way that I keep you need to gently transition this animal to how you're going to keep it. It's best to allow the animal to have as as, uh, supply resources and allow the animal to choose at any particular time. And then you get to the stage where it's not like people arguing like, this is the best for the animal or this is the best for the animal. It's like, this is the process. Yes, I'm over here. And if you want to be over here, this is what you need to be there. Done. There's there, there are, the argument's not there because we're all just knowing the underlying process. So then it becomes well, how do you transition from from the from the rack to the vivarium? And I draw a comparison to what I was taught in wildlife rehab, where if something needs to go back into the wild you need to release it you have something called soft release and hard release so soft release is where you like set up a pen outside and the animal lives in there for a bit and then maybe you take a cover off and they get to see the outside world for for like a week and then you open a door into a larger area within this still enclosed in, in captivity and they explore that and then you put resources out there in a way that means that they're not being fed and they're like searching for it and whatnot and then you open the gate and you get them come and go from the wild and they can keep coming back to you for a source of food so eventually you get to the point where you're like you're not there anymore and they're in the wild and then harder release is just like 
open carrier fuck off goose and you just it just runs off and flies away so that's hard release i draw the comparison between those where i say like it's like soft transition and hard transition so soft transition might be you know the animal is kept in a particular way in a rack so what you could do is get a tub an opaque tub slip a heat mat under one side replicate exactly inside how the how the breeder kept it and draw a hole in the top that hole means that the ball python within this tub that is treating it as this rack replica- replication can come and go in and out of this vivarium at the pace they see fit. So at the pace of things building and your pathways and learning and coming out. and you just got to have a bit of patience with the animal rather than just chuck them into an entirely new environment and watch them stress out. Maybe they replicate what they're in before and then just let them slowly soft transition from that into that and you might just leave that bit in there and let them come and go as they please even though that you feel in the future that they're comfortable with the, with the vivarium maybe just leave the tub in there maybe that's just an, something that they still find reinforcing they still find useful especially when shedding that might be a big component of that and you just let them do that whereas like the hard transition it's like yeah i bought it from a breeder came from Iraq, it was kept in a very, very deprived manner of, like, newspaper water bowl, and then I just chuck it in a vivarium. So, I think the understanding of maybe a soft transition needs to occur, rather than, like, because at the the moment, there's a lot of people just doing straight-up hard transitions, and it's like, chucking it into a vivarium, it's like, will he make it? Will he won't? will he sink or swim and it's like oh yeah outliers and then this and that and it's like but it's just a lack of common understanding and education and knowledge of the underlying process that's happening underneath their brains are different in a deprived rack because obviously some racks are better than others you can have a rack that is water bowl hide and not even a hide actually you can have one that's like newspaper um water bowl done you can have one that's like hide shavings water bowl there's a stick there's a leaf there's something in that there's some element of complexity and new stimulus and things are novel and there's some neural pathways that are growing and i mean you can even introduce a little bit of climbing on like a some some way of elevating the the hatchling's body and whatnot and there's uh, people do that in racks as well and they call them like enriched racks which are I, I, I do endorse and I think it's better than just like purely just sensory deprivation but you can understand how one would allow so many more pathways to build in this brain and you understand I, I hope this makes people understanding how incredibly layered this whole thing is and and how even that those like really specific examples I gave you you think nothing of that until you, like I explained it in the way that I explained it, and you're like, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. That actually makes sense. But before you were like, yeah, I don't get it. It's just two racks. You look at you're, you're focusing on the rack, and you're like, the care is exactly the same. The temperatures in in the basket spot are exactly the same. The water bowl's the same size. The shavings are the same. It's the same, like it's the same rack, same dimension. Like, but because now I've given you that context of the way that I thought about it, you're like. Oh, and then you can suddenly see how there's so many variables to all these animals that are in racks and that 
their individual past experiences are going to be like all over the place in terms of like complexity and what level of neural pathways have been built in their brains and like what sort of stage they're at and you could have ones that are totally totally absolutely fucked and their their brain, their brain structures like shifted so heavily and they're like an eight-year-old raw python and there's no i won't say there's no way they'll cope in a vivarium but like their transitionary period is so long and drawn out and you have to have so much patience with that um and a laurie, laurie Torini is a person to speak to more on that because that's not for me to go into but all of that, I'm hoping all of that makes sense because I don't want to waste too much of your time here and I want to respect your time but I also want to make sure that I got the gist of it out there and I really want to see what most of you make of this so this will be going out to the Reptiles and Research podcast on all podcasting platforms under the Animals at Home Network umbrella but also be going on to the Reptiles and Research podcast YouTube channel which is where if you're seeing me, that's where you are if you're just hearing me, you're probably on a podcasting platform but if you would like to come over to the YouTube video to leave your comments in response to what you heard, I would appreciate that because I really want to get the feedback and I really want more discourse on this. So now I'm starting to think like I really want to get more like rat keepers on this podcast to just have this conversation with them and be like, well, what's your scenario? What do you do? And then like put this to them and then maybe you see some of their faces go, oh, oh shit, like that makes sense. But it doesn't have to be such like tribalism and this side and this side i just think people need to understand that there's an underlying process and then how can we move forward from that so that's the that's the summary of all of that that's the premise i want to hear what your thoughts are let me know um if you're watching on youtube if you if you could give this video a like just so that it will help this video reach more people that'd be greatly appreciated and if you're new to this and you like this sort of like depth that we're going to in discussions maybe consider this maybe consider subscribing so that you are involved in the conversation going forward because this is only going to go further but other than that thank you for hanging out with me thank you for giving me and lending me your ear and we'll see you in the next one